Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so, nearly every time we see the concept of predestination mentioned in Scripture, it is always linked to this aspect of God's foreknowledge of the individual. For whom he foreknew, these he predestined. And so because God knows everything, God is able to predestine everything. And he's just in doing that because of his knowledge of the individuals. And so that's the concept we need to understand. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2 says, Peter, an, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And so, God, the elect means they have been chosen. That's what elect means. Remember Jesus said, you guys did not choose me, I chose you. And so God chooses us based on what? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Because God knows us, He says, okay, I can choose you. And that's, it, it, the, the principle becomes very simple to understand. Once you just get your mind around the fact that God knows everything. Um, it's when you think that God doesn't know everything and God's still learning, well, then predestination becomes a major issue. Um, but yeah, as I say, we just need to understand um, that God is completely omniscient. Romans chapter 9, 14 to 24 says, Again, God talking around this subject because now God's God. He needs to let us know just how He does things. Um, this is uh, the Apostle Paul talking. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, so let's just read the whole passage. The scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who, who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even on us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And so Paul's addressing this concept, because a lot of people say, you know, but God's unjust, because I mean, who can resist his will? If God says, this one I'm going to harden, and this one I'll have mercy on, well then, the person doesn't have any say. So where is their free will coming into it? And he goes on to say, look at Pharaoh. God cho chose to um, harden Pharaoh's heart. 
And God raised up Pharaoh for the very purpose of displaying his wrath in the earth. So again, we look at it on the surface and we say, God, you're unjust because you know no one can resist your will. If you choose to harden our hearts, well, that's it. Our hearts are hardened. We're not going to ever bow our needs to you. But again, we have to go back to God's foreknowledge of us. Because he knows us, he then predestines us accordingly. So Pharaoh, for argument's sake, God knows and knew Pharaoh before Pharaoh was ever born into the earth. This is one who will never bow his knee to my son. So because he, because I've given him a free will, and if I was given the choice, he would not bow his knee, not willingly. And so because this is what his choice is, I will now predestine his life. I'll, I'll use him to display my wrath in the earth. And I'll predestine his life accordingly. And so God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes, he did. Um, because if you go look at the, I mean, what transpired when, when Pharaoh hardened his heart. I mean, there was plague after plague after plague that, that completely destroyed Egypt. So much so that Pharaoh's advisors and his magicians, they all came to him and said, can't you see what you're doing? That Israel, Egypt is destroyed. You know, they could see that this guy was just getting them into a worse and worse situation. He couldn't see that. Why not? Because God had hardened his heart. Now, God hardened his heart not because God arbitrarily just didn't like Pharaoh. Not at all. God knew what Pharaoh was really like. And so God said, okay, if you really want to be rebellious against me, I will make you rebellious against me. And thus I will use that to my glory, which is what he did. He obviously destroyed Egypt because Pharaoh just refused um, to let God's people go. And so we just need to understand that God creates and God molds and God predestines based on God's omniscient knowledge. He knows everything. And, um, Proverbs 16.4, another controversial scripture, but it's, you know, it just helps us to understand that God is God. He's the one who is in charge. Scripture says, the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So again, because God knows these ones are going to be wicked, I'll, I'll use them now. I'll make them, if they want to be wicked, I'll let them become as wicked as they, as they want to become. And the day of doom is coming. The day of judgment is coming. Look at another scripture uh, around this concept of God predestining lives. Because it's just so plain in scripture. God said to Pharaoh, I raised you up. Um, I've hardened your heart. And he says to Moses, because Moses was kind of saying, God, block me out of your, of your book. You know, let them learn. God said, no, no, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, it's not because God says, well, today I feel merciful, so you, you guys got the lucky draw. You're, you're going to experience my mercy. Not at all. Because God knows who will respond to his mercy. He then gives them his mercy. He doesn't, our Lord said it this way, he said, don't cast your pearls before swine, that which is holy before swine, lest they trample them under, turn on you and rend you. And so God doesn't do that either. God doesn't extend the mercy of his gospel message to those whom he knows will never re respond to it. And so that's how God acts. Romans chapter 9 verse 10 to 13 says, and not only this, 
But when Rebecca, also conceived by one man, even by God our Father, sorry, let me go back. And not only this, but when Rebecca had also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And so before Jacob and Esau were even born, God said, the older will serve the younger. Why could God say that? Because he knows all of the future. Now if you go look at um, the Bible that accounts, Esau never served Jacob. They, you know, they both lived their own individual lives. But hundreds and well, thousands of years later, I don't know how many years, but anyway, a long time after that, um, Edom were the descendants of Esau. And they eventually served Jacob, Israel, who were the descendants of Jacob, uh, when King David conquered them. And that's when uh, the descendants of Esau served the descendants of Jacob. But God had seen that before Jacob and Esau were born as children. And that's why he said, the older will serve the younger, because God knows all things. And so he, he declares the end from the beginning. Hebrews 10, 7 says, I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And that's Jesus, our, our Lord, speaking to God the Father. And Jesus just saying, My life is already predestined. Before I'm even born into the earth, I read the book. Because Jesus had access to the book, so he could read that. We don't have access to that book. Um, and so he could read what God's will for his life was. And then he went out and he did the will of God. And so, because God writes our lives from, from the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the earth, God has really written our lives. Um, another controversial one is Judas. A lot of people say, you know, what about Judas? I mean, did he have any choice in the matter? Yes, he did. He had a choice. And God presented him with the choice, and then he saw the, with how he would respond to that choice. And so God then says, okay, you would not bow, willingly bow your knee to my son, so I will now predestine you in this manner. And God then predestined Judas to betray his son, Jesus. Matthew 26, 24 to 5, 25 says, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And so our Lord said, The only way that Judas could have gotten out of betraying the Lord was to never be born. Because the moment that he was born into the earth, that was his life's predestination. He was predestined to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, based on God's foreknowledge of Judas. God then used that individual. Acts 1, 24-25 says, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell that he might go to his own place. And so Judas was always predestined to, to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was then always predestined after that to be descending to hell, because God predestined his life accordingly. Psalm 109, verse 6 to 19, um, describes what would happen to Judas and his family 
Um, as a result, now this is again thousands of years before Judas is even born into the earth. The scripture says, Set a wicked man over him, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. That's the apostleship that he gave up. Let his children be fatherless, and he, they were because Judas committed suicide. And his wife a widow, obviously she became a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has, and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his prosperity be cut off, and in the generation, generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let none of the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be continually before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, talking of Jesus, that he might even slay the broken in heart, speaking of our Lord Jesus. As he loved cursing, Judas used to love cursing, so let it come to him, as he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with a garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like a garment which covers him, and for a belt which he girds himself continually. And so Judas was always predestined for that role. Why? Because God foreknew Judas. And he knew what Judas was like. And so he said, all right, Judas, you choose not to accept my son willingly. I will now use you to betray my son. And that's what God did, because God knows everything. Now, in our dealing with mankind, all right, God knows everybody who's going to be saved. We saw earlier, God has his perfect will and his permissible will. His perfect will is that everybody does get saved. But he, not that God knows that won't happen. So God permits people to reject his son. And so that's his permissible will. Now, as I say, God knows everybody on the planet, and He knows who's going to be saved and who's not. But God does not reveal His knowledge to us. We don't know. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to go out and to preach the gospel, that's exactly what we do. We go out and we proclaim the gospel. He says to every creature. And so we proclaim the gospel to everyone. Why is that? Because we don't know of those whom we preach to who will respond. God knows who will respond and when they will respond. Because some do hear the gospel more than once and only respond at a certain point. Um, but he doesn't reveal that information to us. Now there are instances where God does say, I want you to go speak to that person. Um, and then we can be assured that God wants them in the kingdom. Think about Philip, uh, the eunuch that was coming past in his chariot, the Holy Spirit. said, go and join that chariot. When Philip went to join the chariot, he heard the ghost read Nazar, and he then witnessed to him, and he was thus born again. So in that instance, there was a specific account of God revealing to Philip, this one is for the kingdom, you can share the gospel. But that's not normally the case. Normally the case, we just share the gospel with whoever comes our way, and, and God allows us to share the gospel with them. Um, but God knows who will respond and who won't. And so... God, although he knows who's going to respond, he doesn't share that information with us. He keeps knowledge to himself. We couldn't handle it even if he did give it to us. 
Acts 13 verse 48 says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And so this is Paul preaching the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, there was a whole lot of people that heard uh, the gospel message preached. But not all responded. The scripture says, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they believed. And so, in the, in the audience, there might have been, I don't know, 100 people in the audience, and it may have been that 50 of them believed. 50 heard. All 100 heard the same message, but only 50 responded. And those 50, the scripture says, had been appointed to eternal life. Why? Because God knew them, and God foreknew that they would willingly bow their knee to his son, and so God appointed them to eternal life, and thus they came into the kingdom of God. And so that's how the gospel message is responded to. 1 Peter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, speaking about the unbelievers, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were appointed. And so just as those who are appointed to eternal life respond to the word, so those who are uh, disobedient to the gospel message are appointed to be disobedient to the word, that it, and they don't respond. Because God predestines. So he appoints this grouping for salvation, he appoints this grouping to be disobedient to his word. Because he knows that of their own free will, they will never bow their knee. And so I can now appoint them in that direction. And so our Lord, as I say in Mark 16, 15, 16, he says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so we don't know all, uh, we don't have the knowledge God does have. We go out and we preach the gospel to all of them. Some of those are appointed to eternal life and some of those are appointed to uh, disobedience. God knows which is which. We don't. And so we just go ahead and we preach the gospel. And then when, when the saints do come into the kingdom of God, our, our free will doesn't get taken away. We retain our free will. And so while we're in the kingdom of God, we also now, we've bowed our knee willingly to the Son, you know, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But now that we're in the, His kingdom, God has further predestined our lives from that point, because He predestines our lives to the point where we will now be uh, coming to the kingdom of God. Now we're in. He continues to predestine our lives for the rest of our time on the earth, in that this scripture then gets brought to bear. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 For we are his workmanship you know, talking about Christians now For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works for, uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and so before the foundation of the world again God has prepared good works for every believer to walk in now we come into the kingdom of God because God predestined us for salvation. Now that we're in his kingdom, God has also predestined the rest of our Christian lives with good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. But it is up to us to, as an act of our free will, do those good works. We can choose not to. We can choose to do our own thing. 
and not do the good works that God has prepared. Because the scripture doesn't say um, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. No, that we should walk in them. So our free will does not get taken away from us once we come into the kingdom of God. It remains intact. What God does is he presents us with the good works that he wants us to walk in. But it's up to us to respond to that and say, yes, Lord, I will do that which you called me to do. Or no, Lord, I'm going to do this. And God allows us to do that. Why? Because the free will of man reigns supreme in this life. God does not override our free will. Even those who have willingly avowed their need to Christ, their free will remains intact as Christians. They're not forced to do anything. God doesn't force anyone in this life to do anything. You say, what about Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. Yes, he hardened his heart, but Pharaoh still did his, had his own free will. Every time there was a judgment that was to be pronounced, Moses went and said to him, let the people go. If you don't, this judgment will come. And Pharaoh said, no. So of his own free will, Pharaoh chose not to let the people of God go. So through his own free will, God knew he wouldn't uh, do what, uh, he wouldn't let them go. But nevertheless, Pharaoh won't be able to stand before God one day and say, I wanted to of my own free will let them go, but you wouldn't let me. No. Pharaoh will recognize, I chose of my own free will not to let your people go, and thus you judged me. And that's how it works. God knows how we're going to respond, and he predestines our lives accordingly. And so that's as far as we want to go with regards to how the will of God interacts with the free will of man. In the next teaching, we want to now look specifically at the free will of man and how that actually works out in uh, the Christian life. So we're going to end the teaching on that one today. Amen.